This morning, we have a really great opportunity. We get to, we're going to get to have like a real superhero that wears a costume and a cape and everything. But he didn't bring his cape with him. He's just kind of playing Clark Kent today with us. Dave, thanks for being here. Dave comes from Brantford, Ontario. And um, he spoke at our uh, at a West Island Network breakfast yesterday that happened in our lobby. It was so awesome. There was 45 or 50 uh, people from different churches uh, across the West Island just coming together to pray, to learn about neighborhood engagement, to hear part of Dave's story from Brantford, Ontario. And so he's around this weekend, and we thought it'd be so awesome to hear from him. And uh, he's going to tell us, uh, uh, yeah, I, whatever message he has to share, we're grateful that you're with awesome. us. And his church that he's a part of also started 15 years ago and uh, with about four or five people. So that's kind of cool. Um, but Dave, thank you for being Our here. Our churches almost have a creepy similar story, like six people in the living room 15 years ago. Yeah, I just don't have a beard like that. But that's. But we're both Daves. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. That is true. So We are now the Daves that you know. So that's good. That's true. I don't have a suit, though. I don't have, like... I can arrange it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk later. But I like blue. I don't like red. So anyways, let's just stop this right now. Let's just let Dave speak. Awesome. Well, yeah, our church is in Brantford, Ontario. is called Freedom House. Brantford is the home of uh, is a hockey player. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name's Wayne Gretzky. You ever heard of him? Yeah. <laughs> Familiar with his work. That's, uh, that's uh, Brantford, Ontario. We're a city of about 100,000 people. And uh, our dream is to see a city transformed, is to see a city saved. So this is my family up here. I'll show you my family. That's Aislinn, who you just met a few years ago. My daughter, Brianna. My son, Jared. And that's my wife, Chrissy. She was born in... in, in Dollard? 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 Like about two or three minutes away from here. This was uh, where she was born. And so it's super special to be able to be here and uh, share our story. And um, so if we go on to the next one there, Beth, let's just read this scripture. Do you know the scripture, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? If you've been in church long enough, you know this is the fridge magnet scripture, right? The I know the plans I have for you. If if you if you're if you've been in church for more than know, 35 minutes, you've probably heard this before and you know that great scripture that God has plans for us to prosper us, not to harm us, but to prosper us. Well, the context for Jeremiah 29:11 right before it gives such important context for how God wants to, to promise things. It says this is what it says. It says This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those who he carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives, give your sons and daughters wives, have babies, do all the things, plant gardens, increase, don't decrease, have babies, plant gardens, do good things. God is today is like a Jewish mother. That kind of thing. And then it says in verse 7, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you're going to prosper. God said to his people, I'm going to take you into exile. I'm going to put you in a place you're unfamiliar with. It's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be issues. Don't worry. Have kids. Plant yourself. Grow carrots. And then seek the peace and prosperity of your city. Carrots are a very important part. Seek the peace and prosperity of your city, because if your city prospers, you're going to prosper. The physical and the spiritual well-being of a city has a direct correlation between our prosperity, between us 
thriving and us not. There is a connection between the practical world that we see around us and the spiritual world. And God calls his people, sometimes even to hard places, to be able to see transformation happen physically in the physical, natural world. He taught us to pray, his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we, We know this prayer, but he actually means it. He wants to see something tangible happen. So, for me, when I was, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer. Anybody else a Gen Xer in the room? Any Xers? There's nothing that Gen Xers hate more than everything. And uh, when, when I grew up, I was, I was a typical Gen Xer, and I, uh, I, live in, I lived in Brantford. This is what Brantford looked like at the turn of the previous century. It was a thriving industrial city. Um, there were all kinds of industry, all kinds of great stuff happening. And then Brantford turned into this. So when I grew up, our downtown turned into our, our mayor called, uh, called the Toronto Star uh, into our downtown and said, this is the worst downtown in Canada. And he was right. The, what used to be a prosperous, thriving downtown turned into boarded up buildings and crack houses and prostitution. And it was really a depressing place to be. And my peers and I, we grew up wanting to find ways to be able to leave Brantford. It was not something that we wanted to be able to stay. That was the plan. Well, I gave my heart to Jesus. I, was, uh, I, I grew up in the church. My mom took me to church. Then I was a really good heathen for a lot of years. I was, I was really good at running from God. I mean, really good at it. And then I gave my heart to God and for, forever when I was uh, 19 years old. And I began to get a passion for, God, I want to serve you. And what should I do? Should I go to Bible college? Should I do these different things? And, uh, and I did what uh, many young, zealous evangelicals do you leave. And so my wife and I, we went to West Africa. Oh, oh wait, I should, I should tell you. Oh, sorry about this. I should tell you this. The, 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 the low part of Brantford, this was a movie called Silent Hill. You don't have to admit if you've ever seen Silent Hill before, but Silent Hill is a movie about a post-apocalyptic zombie wasteland. <laughs> they filmed that in downtown Brantford. That is a screenshot of Silent Hill, and they didn't have to do very much in the downtown at all. That is... They sprinkled some white dust, and all the demons were there too, so it was perfect. It was great. <laughs> that, was the, that was the low point of our downtown. Everyone was excited. Hollywood came to town, and I thought, this is terrible. What are we doing? So, so I, 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 I found Jesus. I'm like, all right, I want to go change the world. And so my wife and I went to West Africa and because uh, we thought, this is what you're supposed to do. Let's go and be missionaries to West Africa. And God bless the people who have been missionaries to Africa. Like, Africa has, you know, changed over the years because of the, you know, the faithfulness of missionaries. And there certainly is a lot of work. But I went to, uh, had a friend in Ghana, in Accra, Ghana, right there on, on the coast in Ghana. And I'm like, all right, how are we going to go change the world? And I walk down the street and I see... On a Sunday morning, you see a schoolhouse, and there's two churches in the school, and one under a tree, and there's like businesses. There was, my favorite was the Finger of Jesus hairstyling, and, the, and people are preaching on buses, and everywhere you look, the church is in action, and they're caring for needs and all this stuff, and I'm like, this place doesn't need me and my jaded Gen X ways. And, I, and I, I, I experienced a culture for the first time that I had never really experienced, and it was a, a culture of kindness. So I'd walk down the street, and people would look at me in the eye and go, good morning, Brother Dave. And I'm like, 
what do you want, buddy? Do I have to front? Like, I'm like, I, I never, you don't see people look at you in the eye and greet you really in Canada. We're not cold to each other, but we're also not in each other's lives on purpose. We're not actively, generally in each other's lives. And we have a degree of suspicion, I believe, about one another when somebody's doing something for you or even sometimes even just being pleasant to you for no particular reason. And it confronted my, my insides about my own home, about Brantford, Ontario, about the greater Toronto area, about our country, and going, what is it that we're missing inside our own country, and why did I feel like I had to look outside to be able to go and see transformation? And I realized, as many of us see, that numbers of people going to church and attending church and the effectiveness of the church felt like, as I looked at this, it minimizing and minimizing and minimizing. While I was there, I, I, was, I was so taken by the idea that kindness could change things. And truth be told is that I haven't been a terribly kind person over the course of my life. In fact, I was actually a bully when I was in, in high school. I was a word bully. I would, I would find ways to be able to emotionally destruct people. That was part of my daily plan when I was in high school. I would find ways to cut them down at the beginning of the day, cut them down in the middle, and then drop the final punch at the end of the day. And I prided myself on being able to emotionally destroy people. That's what kind of psychosis I deal with in my life. This, is, this was my life when I was in high school. And I realized that kindness wasn't something that I actually was living in most of my life. When I found Jesus, thankfully, many of this, much of this stuff kind of started to fall off of me, but that was my background. But I was so taken with the idea that kindness can change stuff. This scripture in Romans 2.4 was such an important part of this uh, segment of, of my journey. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you towards repentance? God's kindness is designed to lead us towards him. There's something about his kindness and us functioning in the attribute of kindness that actually draws men and women towards God. It's like a tractor beam, like the Millennium Falcon getting sucked into the Death Star. We've watched this over the years. Kindness leads people towards him. And so I got together with a group of people 50 or uh, six people in the living room 15 years ago, and we said, what would it look like if a church functioned kindly? What, if, what would it look like if a church thought, how do we see the city transformed? I was very taken by a gentleman named Ed Silvoso when I was in Africa. I read a book of his called That None Should Perish. Does anybody know Ed Silvoso? Everyone, ever, and you heard that name? Ed has become a very good friend over the years, and he was involved in a number of um, uh, uh, cities in Argentina in the late, ni- or late 80s, early 90s, where they saw entire cities reformed. The church come together in unity, like we were talking about yesterday at the, uh, the Westside um, uh, Network prayer gathering, prayer breakfast. Churches coming together from all kinds of different backgrounds, and then serving the community, finding the felt needs of the community, serving them, blessing them, going, what do you need? What do you need? How do we serve? How do we bless you? How do we help you succeed? And in it, over the course of a number of years, saw hundreds of thousands of people come to know Jesus as their Savior, but then also crime-reduced. Also, corruption reduced from governments. All these different things. And I read this book, and I'm like, if this is for real, if this dude and his story are legit, then this is the only thing I ever want to do with the rest of my life. If the church serving and being inside the community 
actually brings a community and the physical attributes of a community towards God and good and prosperous, well, if that's for real, then that's the only thing I ever want to do for the rest of my life. And I started researching it and realized this was, leg- this was legit. It's happening. So we started on this journey, this long journey of how do you see a city tangibly transformed and how do you uh, do that and bring the church together in unity. And if you just go back there uh, for one second, this, is our, th- this, was a, this was a bar in downtown Brantford. We bought this bar. It was, a, it was a miracle that we bought it. This is where we planted our church. Uh, on, uh, on Thursday, it was a bar. We bought it. We had our first service on a Sunday night. And on Monday, we began construction there. And we saw people, we, we were, uh, some of us were propositioned by a prostitute on the front steps of our church on the Monday. And uh, Brian, who's a lead pastor of the church, was like, I didn't take this class in Bible college. You know, like, what do you do here? We, we went outside of the church the one night, and because we did service on the Sunday night, and we realized that this, this neighborhood had fallen to a bit of disrepair, and we watched as a row of, I'd say, eight to ten kids who were about eight to ten years old were um, sitting outside of a crack house right across the street from this, from this church, or from our church, and the guy who ran the crack house would whistle, and the kids would go up inside, and they would get the drugs, they would get on their bike, and then they would go off into the midnight sky as essentially being drug mules. And, and, I, and I had never seen it. I, had, I was from a more affluent part of town, and, and this was something that I had never actually witnessed with my eyes, and I'm like, what, am I, what are we supposed to do here? So God, we said, change our city, transform our city. All these big grandiose, hey God, we believe you're going to take the city. And then we're sitting there looking and going, all right, well, what do we do about this? This is obviously our first task, I guess. How do you get into the lives of prostitutes and their pimps who are their husbands and kids who are being used as drug mules? What do you do? And so our answer was something. <laughs> and so what we did was we set up a barbecue right outside of the church from 10 o'clock at night until 2 o'clock in the morning. And our grand strategy, this was our, this was our grand strategic plan, okay? We set up a barbecue, put on cheap burgers and hot dogs, not even good ones like chicken wieners, like terrible hot dogs, not even good ones. And we yelled, free burger, free burger, free burger, free burger, free burgers! That was our grand plan. That was, all, you know, that was all we had at the time. What ended up happening was people started to show up. People started to come out of these places. And over the course of a summer, we began to build relationship with the people. And all of a sudden, the situations that seemed like the desperate situations, that was literally a how could a husband be the pimp for his wife? We started to hear the situations that led to these heartbreaking situations and the heartbreaking scenarios. And we got to know their names. And we got to know the backstory. And we got to know the heartbreak. And we got to figure out what some of the solutions could be for individual issues. Now, that crack house across the street from the church is actually been transformed into the downtown BIA head office. The Business Improvement uh, Association, over the course of years of blessing people inside this crack house, the crack house moved away. And now it's the head of the Brantford Downtown Business Improvement Association. It's absolutely incredible. And so we started to see these incredible things happen, but it wasn't always easy. We had one, uh, one night where I was out on the street giving away burgers in a dangerous situation, and a guy came up to me, and he pulled the knife on me, and I happened to be by myself, and he pulled the knife, and he stuck it right in my face, and he goes, Do you want to die? 
And I wondered what in the world was going to come out of my mouth when someone said, do you want to die? And I'm a goofball, okay? This is an anointing that I have. I am a goof. And so I thought the only tool I really have is goofiness. I can't take him physically. Can't outsmart him. So I'm going goofy. And I looked at him and I said, no, do you want a burger? And he goes, yeah. And he put down the knife. And he goes inside and we give him a hamburger. The little guy who is next to him starts pouring out his heart to me. He goes, what am I doing here with this maniac? I'm out here on the street. Why am I out here? Oh, I don't, I don't want to. And all of a sudden, God opens this door to be able to share life with this little guy. And I knew I didn't have much time. And so I prayed with him and I said, hey, God brought you into our path tonight. I'm going to call you tomorrow and, I, and, and you're going to tell me why you know that God took care of you tonight and God intercepted your life. Well, I called the guy the next day and I said, how do you know that God, it was God? that intercepted your life and he goes well Dave let me tell you the big guy who threatened to stab you and me went down the street and he did stab somebody almost to death right down the street and he went to jail and I went home and he said but the truth is I was planning on killing that guy tonight and instead I'm home safe and he showed up on Sunday morning and he gave his heart to Jesus and now he's working at a job has a family in Calgary and I went wow a hot dog a burger And he kept us safe and changed a life and began to change the culture of the street. And so we doubled down. So we said, God, what do you want us to do next? So we started doing various different random acts of kindness. This is what we call our $1 car wash. The $1 car wash is we get these people out on the street with signs that say $1. Cars go by and they think, that's a really great idea for a car wash. A $1, that's a great one, that's a great price. Well, they pull in and then we hand them a dollar and we go, here you go. This is for the honor of serving you today. And their brains blow up. (laughs) And then they pull in and we do a free barbecue for them and we give them a free lunch while we wash their car and it turns into dialogues about the neighborhood, about what you can use kindness for to be a transformational tool. And we're like, this is amazing. We were doing this once though and we thought, we need a mascot. We need something big and wild. Well, that year... The theme in the Brantford Santa Claus Parade was superheroes. Every year the organizers uh, give us a theme, and the theme was superheroes. So without thinking much about it, they thought, let's put Dave on a leotard and stick him up on a flatbed truck, and we'll call him Captain Kindness. (laughs) Well, Captain Kindness won the award for the best float in the Santa Claus Parade that year. And then I started to get calls and go, can Captain Kindness come to my school? Can Captain Kindness come to my fish and chip stand and cut the ribbon? I once attended the retirement party of the chief legal counsel of the Children's Aid Society. For whatever reason, he wanted that dude in a leotard to be at his retirement party. But somehow, this Captain Kindness character over a decade ago... Hit scratched an itch of some degree. How many people grew up wanting to be a superhero? Anybody want to be a superhero when they grew up? Come on, admit it, admit it, admit it. I'm living your dream. I am not that guy. I, I've never owned a comic book before. I don't even, I don't like the Marvel movies. I am living somebody's dream. And the truth is, is that almost every time I put on this dumb costume, I have an argument with God. And I say, is it for real that I have to put on this costume one more time? And he goes, is it for real that you're arguing with me for the method that I chose to do the thing you prayed about? He said, get on that costume and get in the game. 
And so Captain Kindness somehow became this local phenomenon where that opened, began to open doors just by talking about kindness and doing small little, little bits of kindness. We started to see some of the doors that we used to think were locked unlock and places we got to go that we never thought that we would get to go. Captain Kindness was incredible. So we started serving. The first thing we did was we went to the city and we said, Canada Day is a big giant celebration in Brantford as it is pretty much everywhere. We said, how can we serve you? And they said, well, I don't know. How about you run the kids area? Captain Kindness can go run the kids area. How about that? And we said, sure. And then we Googled, how do you run a kids area at Canada Day? (laughs) It was a need. And when you serve and you bless, God opens doors. And we said, sure. And now for a decade, we've run the kids area at Canada Day. And I get to go up on the main stage and declare kindness over top of the city in a leotard. The year after we did the, 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 the Captain Kindness, I lit the city Christmas tree with the mayor and Santa Claus. And I always, always thought I'd be on this stage one day, but I never figured I would be in a leotard doing it. But he started to open doors. So we doubled down. We said, city. What do we need? At the time, our city's atmosphere was beginning to change. They began to knock down some of the crack houses, and they built this new civic square in, right in our downtown, uh, a few steps away from where our new building uh, was, right there in, in the heart of the, of the community. And what they needed was stuff. They needed events because they didn't want the old culture of the drugs to be able to envelop this brand new square that they were wanting to be able to be a new hope for the city. And so they had, the first thing they were doing were movies in the square. They would show a movie on a big inflatable screen every every Thursday. And they said, could Captain Kindness come and do like a family pre-show for the movie? And we said, sure, that'd be great. And they said, you can't talk about Jesus, though. I said, no problem. We'll just come and run chubby bunny contests and uh, spin around your head on a bat and give away bubble gum. And they said, great, that'd be amazing. And it became a relational, uh, uh, like a relationship builder with the city. They knew that we wanted to make them prosperous. We said, how do we make you good at your job? How do we make you prosperous? Not how can you make me prosperous? We said, how can we, the church, make you prosperous? And we built relationship. So we said, all right, well, what's next? We talked to the city, the lady who we made a relationship with, and she goes, well, we need more stuff in the square, and we adjust, they had just invented the Brantford Downtown Jazz Festival, so now there's a jazz festival in the summer, but she goes, we kind of need something in the winter, like an anchor winter event, and she goes, like, I don't know, like a winter carnival or something like that, and they said, can you do a winter carnival? And we said, sure, we can do a winter carnival. And we Googled, how do you do a winter carnival? That is quite literally our, our strategy of say yes to the need and then Google, how do you do it? And then figure it out as you go. The first year we did this Frosty Fest, and understand, I am not suggesting that everybody do a winter carnival. It is too much work. I, I spend so much of my time running this winter carnival that I cannot even believe it. But the, the reason why it's effective is that it was the felt need of the community that we were praying for God to see his kingdom come in. They said Winter Carnival. We said sure. The first year, one of my friends over here was asking, how do you afford all this stuff? We didn't at first. We put all of our resource into, because we desperately believed that God wanted his kingdom to come, and he had opened this door. The first year we did our Frosty Fest Winter Carnival, 
We put everything we had into it. We were a church of maybe 50 adults if everybody showed up at the time. We rented a carousel at a ridiculous price, and we found we had a camel for whatever reason. I don't even know why we had a camel, but we had ice carvers and all this stuff. And the first year, 7,000 people showed up, and it helped cover our costs, and we went, wow, we just ran a winter carnival. <laughs> this is now the 10th year on the good weather years, 15,000 people now come to this winter carnival, which is, for a city of 100,000, is a pretty good percent. It's one of the largest events in the city, and it's still run by a church and volunteers of about 200 people. Now, I'll, t- I'll tell you, the guy that we rented, the, we, we rented the, the, the rides from the first year that would have cost us about $10,000 to rent a winter uh, carousel, he said, I've never seen anything like this. This is my hometown. He, he runs Campbell Amusements, which does amusements, probably everything east of Ontario he does. He's, his company probably comes through uh, here when there are, uh, uh, the traveling carnival comes through. He said, this is my hometown, and I've been looking for some way to be able to give back to my hometown. He said, this is, this is the thing that I'm going to choose to make my give back to the community. He now gives us five amusement rides for free. He pays all of his employees, and he gives us all the money that people make at the carnival to be able to go towards what we're doing. He gives us all that, probably a value of about $80,000 a year to be able to run this carnival because he was moved, and not necessarily because of what we did, because I believe God wants cities. Yeah, amen. I believe God wants cities. Yeah, that's right. Hulk Hogan used to do that when he... God wants cities. He does, he does. And so we said, all right, so what's next? So we went back. Or the, the, we'll just skip past that. That's our, some of our political leaders. We went back to the, to the, to the lady who we had begun to uh, gain, uh, gain influence with. And she, we watched God start to soften her heart. We knew that God was actually working on her because we were saying, how do we make you successful? And she was becoming successful at her job. And so it turned into a relationship. And Brian, who's our lead pastor, went to her one year and said, what about a living nativity in the square? And she said, what's a living nativity? And he goes, well, it's the biblical Christmas story. You got Joseph and Mary and the wise men and the shepherds, and they all sing a song about Jesus, and then we go home in 20 minutes. Or no, he said, and we really like your baby. We, uh, it's, uh, I, I mentioned that. <laughs> they come and they all say, to them, we really like your baby. We sing a song and we go home. And this was around the time where the city was having a fight over whether the plastic Mary and Joseph and Jesus was supposed to be in a, in a public park. I imagine that you are not unfamiliar with discussions like that. Should there be, should there be these religious figures in, that, in public places? And this was happening in our city. They were fighting over the plastic Jesus and Mary. And while they were doing it, she said, yeah, let's do the living nativity. I'll make it happen. She went to her authorities and said, this is important to be able to happen in the city. So while they were fighting about plastic nativity, they were giving the green light to a living nativity that the city still supports. And we see four or 5,000 people come into the downtown core every winter to see six shows of this living nativity where we're allowed to talk about Jesus as much as we want. And the city gives us full favor. And it's incredible. It's incredible. But it didn't happen without 10 years of serving first. All of a sudden, the favor of God starts happening and the, and the, and the atmosphere is changing for the gospel to actually to be able to be shown. So we thought, what's next? 
We started, we, we started seeing doors open inside of public schools. I get to go inside public schools and talk about kindness. We don't get to talk about Jesus per se, but we get to talk about kindness and how kindness can transform a classroom. And while we're in there, we're allowed to be able to pray in, internally because he can't stop us from praying internally and praying to God while you're inside of the schools. We can't keep up with the demand for having us inside elementary schools. We just can't keep up with it. So they know we're a church, but because what we're offering is so beneficial to the teachers who are struggling with the bullying issues, they can't say no because the things of God are so good when we serve and we want to make other people prosperous that people can't say no. They say, give me more. (laughs) It's amazing. So we said, what's next? Oh, I'll I'll show you this. We started to see um, just disproportionate favor to what it is we were actually doing. That is me with a picture of a medal from the Queen of England. That is a Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee medal. I, was, I got a letter one day saying the Queen wanted to give me a medal. And I wound up on a stage with a bunch of veterans and incredible people and me, whose only job was to dance around in a leotard. And I thought, God, you're, you're disproportionately giving us favor. Why are you doing it? Because God wants cities. He wants cities. So we had had an idea for a lot of years. The idea was, what if we did a public baptism? What if we did a public baptism? Public baptism. Never seen one of those. I was working in radio at the time, and I woke up with a, I had a dream of a newspaper ad. I'd never had a dream of a newspaper ad before. And the ad said, Freedom House welcomes prostitutes, gamblers, wingnuts, bad boys, the disillusioned, the visionaries, people who think they're too good, people who think they're not good enough, and all these different non-PC words. And then at the bottom was a coupon for one free baptism. And I called up Brian, my friend, and I said, Brian, I had a dream about a newspaper ad that includes a coupon for a free baptism. And I think we got to take out an ad in the paper and finally do this public baptism. And he goes, what? And I said, I'm telling you. And we did it. It was not the most popular decision. People, some people didn't understand the idea, why you're doing it. But we believed that it was time for a public invitation to the city to come and find Christ. That picture over to the right is a picture of a sex shop in downtown Brantford. The night before our very first public baptism, we walked, our prayer team was walking by and we saw this picture of the ad up in the window of the sex shop. The important thing to note is that that's not on the outside of a window that some Christian came and stuck on top of it as an adversarial thing and going, hey, look at this, this is better. That piece of paper is actually on the inside The owner of that shop had taken down all the pictures of the girls, put the ad up prominently in the window, and then put the girls back over top. It was the owner of the sex shop saying, everybody is welcome to come and find Jesus. And I'm like, wow, God, you're up to something. The next day, we did this public baptism, and we saw hundreds of people come into our downtown and find Jesus and be baptized right in the public square. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe that this was Canada. 
the newspaper came and that picture was on the front page of our local paper. Hundred, ba- baptism attracts hundreds. Now, I tell you this story. It's incredible. By the way, you didn't clap nearly enough for hundreds of people getting saved and baptized. <laughs> so, Beth, go to the next slide. So, our, 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 our goal had always been not just to see not just to see people come to Jesus, but to see our city change and to be able to disciple the leaders and be able to, all these things that you, you, you pray about when you're in a, a prayer room and you're like, Lord bless our leaders, Lord bless our fire department and police department and our teachers and our, and we started to see all these things open. Well, this gentleman in the middle is our member of parliament, Phil McCollman, and then there's a couple of NHL guys and that's me there in the middle. We have been a part of our, I'm, a, I'm on the board of directors for our member of parliament. His, his desire was to be able to see the city changed as well. We've been able to disciple this guy a little bit. And he, he developed this charity hockey game called Hockey Night in Brantford, where he wanted to be able to raise money for our local United Way by doing sort of an alumni hockey game. And Brian and I were the chair people of, the, of this hockey game. Well, we had been working away at this, and we realized that this public baptism, we thought... It's possible that we have just gone from the nice kindness people to the crazy religious freaks taking out coupons and doing public baptisms. And so we realized things were maybe about to change. And we're like, I hope we didn't just blow 10 years of good favor on, a, on, a, on, on this. Well, the baptisms happened on the Sunday. That newspaper ad that you saw came out, on the, or that, that the newspaper story came out on the Monday. The hockey game was on the Thursday. The Monday night, we went to our member of parliament's uh, backyard. The people who were going to be there were all the key business leaders in our city, the chief of police, the chief of fire, all the influencers in the city, the kind of meeting that you're like, I just want to be in the middle of to be able to share Jesus with you. Just wish, you know, in your dreams, if you're a a zealous, evangelist-y kind of people, you're like, I want to be in this room. Just tell them about Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. And all of a sudden, we've been ushered into this amazing thing. And we walk into the backyard, and we realize that they may see us entirely different than they saw us the day before. And we walk in, and we talked about hockey for 10 minutes. And we talked about Jesus for two hours with the key leaders in the city. We didn't instigate a single conversation. All of a sudden, they began telling us stories about, my mother always prays for me. Isn't that amazing? I used to go to Sunday school when I was a kid. I'd love to go to church, but I don't feel like... And these people, the Holy Spirit began to stir things up inside of them because the kindness of the Lord leads people to repentance. And when you function kindly and you serve and you bless, the Holy Spirit does the kind of miraculous things that you only wish that you could orchestrate and you can't orchestrate. But he does orchestrate. He has a deep desire to orchestrate city transformation. And all of, we, we caught each other's eye across this room and we're like can't even believe this is happening. But it did. It was. Amazing stuff. I'm gonna, let me tell you one, one, more, one more story, and then I want to share just a few quick thoughts on this. And understand, we are truly just the most ordinary of people. How does it, how does it happen? I, I honestly don't know. But I, I believe so firmly that God wants our cities, and he will orchestrate amazing things. The Captain Kindness thing it doesn't mean that Captain Kindness needs to come to every market. In fact, I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know why Captain Kindness works so well, but it does. It's just odd and obscure enough for God to be able to use it as his little secret weapon. I believe that if you listen to what God wants 
different churches and different areas to do. He'll show you what the felt needs are to be able to go and see transformation happen. But I know the kindness leads people to repentance. This, this story was the most, amazing, the most amazing single thing I think I've ever seen in my life when it comes to him bringing people together. I got a call probably about four years ago from a pastor um, at, at an Assemblies of God church in um, Inver Hills, Minnesota. It's an it's a affluent suburb of Minneapolis. Um, a, a group called Transform Our World had come and done a... Uh, done a um, a, a, a documentary about what we do in Brantford. And he had seen our documentary and he said, I want Captain Kindness to come to, to, to our event. We do a big community outreach event and said, would you come? And I said, you know, you can buy a costume for like 30 bucks and just do that there instead of flying me into Minnesota. He goes, no, I want you to come. So I did, and I got on a plane, and the, the youth pastor picked me up at the airport, and I didn't really know the context of what I was walking into at all. And, and so I, I got to this event, and I knew the guy was an Assemblies of God pastor, and I was in the Assemblies of God church, and we drove up to the steps of this Catholic church. And I'm like, oh, okay. And the, the pastor was really busy getting this outreach uh, um, done, and, and so I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on. I put on my monkey suit and walked in and go, ha, ha, hello, everybody, <laughs> with the Captain Kindness costume, and I started high-fiving kids, and I, re- and I looked, and I realized that most of the, the families at this, at this big kind of free carnival were, were, were Mexican immigrant families, and, and I, we were at this Catholic church, and I'm like, boy, there's just an enormous amount of, like a disproportionate amount of, of Mexican immigrant families. And I, I finally pulled the pastor aside, and I said, what is going on here? Tell me the story. Like, there must be a backstory. And he goes, oh, I didn't tell you. And I said, no, tell me. That'd be great to know. And he goes, well, here's the deal. He said, this outreach is the thing that my church cares the most about. For a decade now, we partner with the city and, and the police and the city officials give us the names and addresses of the people who are on the lowest end of the economic spectrum in the city. And we do this free carnival where we pack backpacks and it's like a free stuff for back to school. And, uh, and, and he said, this is, this is our outreach. This is the thing that we're most proud of, the thing that we most put our time into and it takes all this time to do. And he goes, and there really are, for whatever reason, this little suburb has become sort of a, a gathering place for, for, for Mexican immigrants uh, in, in that area of Minnesota, for whatever reason, just is. And he said, and that's often the families that end up coming to because they're, they fall under the low end of the economic spectrum. So he goes, well, I watched your thing about kindness and about the churches working together. And he said, and God started to bug me about the fact that we needed to share this with our local Catholic church. And he said, I had never chatted with the priest at this local Catholic church before. He said, we're in the same community, but we've never talked before. And I felt like I was supposed to go and share this event with him. And he goes, sure, God, that sounds like a really wonderful idea. We'll give up our most precious outreach event, the thing that people like so much. Let's go and share it with the Catholic church. (laughs) Sure, that's wonderful. And he went to the priest, and the priest goes, well, I guess that's a good idea. He said, but if we're going to agree to do it, we have to do it at our church, and uh, everybody has to wear our T-shirts, and we're going to give away our flyers, and I'm the one who's going to be addressing people uh, publicly at at the thing. And the pastor goes, sure, that sounds like a wonderful idea. Thanks so much for... <laughs> sure, you can have all the credit for the thing that we've been doing for 10 years that our people love so much. Great, sure, thanks, uh, thanks, Father. Thanks for doing that, yeah. But he felt strong that he was supposed to share this. 
The night before the event, the tradition is, is that everybody gets together and they stuff the backpacks. Well, they got together in the gym of this Catholic church, and he said it was like a high school dance, all the Protestants on one side and all the Catholics on the other, <laughs> and never the two shall meet. <laughs> the priest and the pastor are standing right in the middle watching this play out, and they're like, oh boy, this is going to be an interesting day. And the, and the pastor says to the priest, sounds like a joke, doesn't it? <laughs> The pastor says to the priest, he goes, well, the Mexican community is going to be very excited. They're very excited about tomorrow. Uh, This is a really big day for for them. And the priest goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You invited the immigrants? Yeah, exactly. And the pastor goes, "Um, well, how many things are wrong with this? Okay, he goes, "Uh, yeah, I did. This This is the thing that we do. We share this with the people on the low end of the economic spectrum, and it's the Mexican community. And the priest goes, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't have anybody from the Mexican community in our congregation. In fact, the Mexican community hates our congregation because a lot of them had to flee some different corruption in the Catholic Church that they experienced in Mexico. We have an adversarial relationship with the Mexican community. He goes, they can't come here. And the pastor goes, well, they're coming tomorrow morning to your lawn, so prepare your heart, Father. You asked for it. (laughs) That morning, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen happen, happened. I was standing there in the middle of the Protestant and the Catholic volunteers serving ice cream and hot dogs and bouncy castles and free backpacks together. I watched the Mexican community playing soccer on the front lawn of a Catholic church that they felt unwelcome at just the day before. Families were frolicking together. It was this incredible dissolving of both racial and denominational discord in a city happening over hot dogs and kindness. And Jesus was just so big. And the priest, as per his request, was the one to have to get up and share a message to people. And he got up and he barely knew what to say. I watched him just be so moved by the enormity of what was happening. And they still do this thing together today, the Catholic Church and this Pentecostal Church serving the community together. And God has been made bigger, and their community has been made better by the idea of just simply serving and meeting a need and doing it together. And the things that we think cannot happen in our city can happen when you serve and you bless and you believe that the kindness of the Lord leads people to repentance. It can, and it happens through ordinary people persistently and consistently doing the right things in the same direction and partnering together in prayer. Let me show you my mayor's favorite line, my mayor's favorite quote. When we ask him, what's, when you pray, what do you pray? This is from St. Thomas More. says, give us, good Lord, the grace to work for the things we pray for. Imagine if we took that inside of us and go, give us, good Lord, dear Lord, the grace to work for the things we pray for. To when we get there and we pray, Lord, bless the city of Montreal. Bless city XYZ. If we worked for the things we prayed for and we said, God, what is our step of obedience? Westside Gathering, what is your step of obedience? To be able to see God's name be famous. And Isaiah says, yes, Lord, walking in your ways, I eagerly wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of my soul. 
This was Isaiah's prayer. God's name and fame, if, it's, if his name and fame are the desire of our soul, meeting needs and working with our hands for the things we pray for in prayer times and in the spirit are a way, and I would, I would say in many ways the way, that eluses God to be able to do the miraculous. I want to encourage you today that my, my church and our story is very much similar to your church and your story. I want to encourage you today as you start this new season in this amazing new building, and I'm so happy. I've heard about this journey from my friend uh, Daria, who I've known. I've known Daria Nardoza before she was Daria Nardoza. And, uh, and, uh, and I know her heart and her, her passion for the city of Montreal. And so to be able to be here and share our story, hopefully as an encouragement to where you guys are, you can see God do incredible things, the miraculous when you work for the things you pray for and believe for big things, I'm telling you, believe for your city. Believe for it. And then say, God, what is our step of obedience? Where are we supposed to walk? And work for the things you pray for and God can do absolutely incredible things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Walking in the, the ways of, of your, your word, we eagerly, eagerly wait for you, Lord. Your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. Your name and your fame are the desire of our souls. Lord, we, we seek the peace and prosperity of the city you've called us into. Because if it prospers, then we'll prosper. And your name will be made great. Lord, I pray that in this season of, of, of new beginnings at this house, I just pray in Jesus' name for, for uh, you say in your word that we're allowed to pray for the, for the, um, for the uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation, is what you say to us. So Lord, I pray for, for, for the leaders, for people who are brand new here, and the whole spectrum, those who are visiting, Lord, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we will understand the times and know what we are to do. Lord, it is not our job to see a city saved. It's not our job to see communities transformed. It is your job to do that. And Holy Spirit, we don't usurp that away from you. In fact, we give you honor and glory and praise, but we, we esteem you and, and acknowledge the power that you have to be able to change things by good into good. We say, Lord, that you desperately desire our cities. You desperately desire our nation. You desperately desire this. And Lord, we partner with your heart, not with everything, but with the thing that you have entrusted to this house, specifically to this house. I just say, uh, I, I actually heard uh, the word. I asked God for, for what is a, a, a word for this house, and I heard a Bob the Builder song. He speaks to me in children's programming. I must be a father. But uh, I heard God say the Bob the Builder song, Can We Fix It? Yes, we can. And it's not, I felt like this wasn't a like, can, can the Westside Gathering fix it? Yes, you can. It was God going, can we together fix it? Yes, we can. Because that is co-laboring with Christ. He says that we are co-laborers with Christ. And so I feel like God says to you, Westside Gathering today, that there are things that are broken that you and him together will be able to fix. That you will see solutions. I just... Just pray this over and believe for this, that you will find God will give you the keys 
to be able to open doors that you didn't think were open and will give you solutions to be able to fix things so that his kingdom will be made great and his name will be made famous here as it is in heaven. Yeah. So I just pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Pastor David.